Welcome to the Love Reaching Community's Sermon of the Week. For more information pertaining to the life of the church, please visit our website at lrcchurch.co.za. So we're starting a new series uh, called Fight Club, and it's on the armor of God. So we'll get to those verses in a moment. Um, so I grew up in the 90s, although I was, apparently I spent seven years in the 80s, I don't remember much, because I was young, not because I was high on anything else. Uh, and I'm glad I don't remember much about the 80s. I've heard it was not great for fashion and hairstyles, etc. Uh, but the 90s, we were in KZN. I grew up on a farm. And my parents, um, in KZN, in farms, in the 90s, with the elections, it was a dangerous time to be farmers. And so my parents, being gung-ho that they were, joined the army reservists. So they came home with the whole army gear, the army boots. My dad had an R4. My mom had an Uzi. I mean, like, how cool is that? Like, your mom has an Uzi. I mean, it's like... Epic. So I guess you always won the story, my mom's better than your mom at school, you know, it's always me because no one can top an Uzi. Uh, um, but my dad used to get those ration packs or rat packs and there was like a little brown box with like covered in plastic and inside like a tin of bully beef, a tin of something else. There was like a little cheese roll that you could squeeze the cheese would come out, very processed, but for a kid it was amazing. And the best part were the milkshakes. So there was like a dehydrated milkshake and like a long, thin polyethylene bag, and you'd pour the powder in, add water, close it up, and then shake it, and then you drink it. And like, for me, the milkshakes were amazing. So the army had, not that I was in the army, but I had some good memories of the army. <laughs> um, my dad had some stun grenades. He had a flak jacket, like the big metal plates if you were going into battle. Um, he had pencil flares, and he even had one of those night telescopes that go on the rifle. He used to go out at night and put this thing on. It was green, but you could see. It was just, just amazing. So, with that kind of military backdrop, go to Ephesians chapter 6, and we're going to read uh, some verses that talk about the armor of God. Ephesians chapter 6, we're going to read from verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, in other words, not against people or humans, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you've done everything, to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions and with all kinds of prayers and requests. And with this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. So there were six, um, six bits of armor listed there, and we're going to spend one week looking at each of those pieces of armor uh, in this series. So tonight we're going to look at the belt of truth. Just a question, at the end of a battle, I'm sure we've all seen kind of war movies, at the end of a battle, how do you know which side has won? The one with people, yeah. I was going to say, if one side's everyone's lying down and they're dead, they lost. If the guys were, or the team where there are people standing, that's the side that won. So Paul says, after the day of evil comes, after everything's done, to stand. How do we get victory? We need the armor of God. So like it or not, we're in a spiritual battle, okay? 
might not be obvious to you. You might not be aware. It might not even be affecting you, so you think. But we're in a spiritual battle. It's very clear from the Bible. And what's, what's implied, or not even implied, but explicit when any kind of war or battle is injury. Anyone here watched Saving Private Ryan or Hacksaw Ridge? I mean, it is struggle, difficult, there's exhaustion, there's pain, there's every emotion you go through, and injury, and death. There's casualty in war. And it's, it's not too different spiritually. We have an enemy. The Bible says it's the devil and his demons. If you've ever thought that the devil's not real, for whatever reason, tonight I hope you change your view. Paul says, we take our stand against the devil and his schemes. So I want to just spend a very minimal part on the devil. One, he's real. He was one of the angels, the Bible tells us, okay? In heaven for probably millions of years, who knows? But then pride crept in and he rebelled against God and him and a third of the angels were cast out of heaven, chucked onto earth. So he's got limited kind of power and authority here. I love what Mark said when he was here a few months ago. He said, the devil is on a leash. He's on the leash of God's sovereignty. So although we have an enemy, he's limited. God's limited him, what he can do. And God could at any moment crush the devil with as much difficulty as you could crush an ant. I have ants running across my desk. I don't know why. got no water there. But every now and then it's like, ah, plopped in. They're dead. That's what God could do to the devil kind of at any point. And so the devil's not something we should be scared of, but we, there is an enemy, okay? He's out to get Christians. And this is his kind of tactic. The Bible says in John 10, he comes to steal and to rob and to destroy. Peter says he's the father of lies. So pretty much anything the devil tells you is a lie, all right? He comes to try and tempt us to sin, to distract us, to take our eyes off God onto other things, to drop God down on our priority list. That's what he's aiming to do. God, the devil cannot take away our salvation. If we put our faith in Jesus, if we're born again, if we're a child of God, the devil and his demons cannot take away what God has given us. Okay? Cannot. No matter how bad a Christian we are, how badly we live, he cannot take it away. But he can stop us for, from fighting for the freedom of others. Right? He can stop us by distracting us, by lying to us, by leading us off into sin. So the Bible says that the way we defend ourselves is to fight with this armor. All right? So let's look at the belt of truth. Belt of truth. What, do, um, what do belts do? They can like to keep your pants up. Yeah, exactly. Can we have the first picture of the armor? I had some cool pictures. So this is World War II armor. What's that? 70 years old now, right? I don't know how effective that was. Uh, they looked happy. Yeah, we went to battle. Go to the next picture. You can see how much, uh, well, it's not a very clear picture. You can see how much armor has improved over the years. These guys now, they have gloves that have bulletproof casings over your joints. If you get shot in the hand... Doesn't affect you working or using stuff, but your hands are protected. The mask if you, or the helmet goes around in the front here so that your jaw is protected. They've even got Kevlar underwear, okay, to protect. Like if you walk over a landmine, you don't want to 
be fatally or mortally wounded. Um, but the armor's come a long way. Back in Bible times, though, they didn't have such sophisticated armor. They had metal kind of breastplates. They had a shield. They often had leather pieces on their arms, on their neck, to protect from a, a sword hitting them. Um, and the belt, the belt in itself doesn't give any protection, okay? But it does hold everything else in place. So on the belt would be a knife. If you're an archer, you'd have a quiver of arrows. There'd be a scabbard for the sword. Um, and in fact, most of them, the breastplate itself was attached to the belt so that it kept everything in place. And so Paul is saying this belt of truth, truth, spiritual truth, is like that belt that keeps everything else in place. Otherwise, we're exposed, open to potential attack from the enemy. So what is truth? Now, here's a tricky question. Any philosophers out there? <laughs> what is truth? What is truth? I don't know. The opposite of a lie, okay? True account of events, okay? Here we go. Persons believed opinion. Cool. All righty. So, ah, always someone with a spiritual card, eh? <laughs> and uh, you're trying to impress, you don't need to impress anymore, Brendan. You're engaged now. Eh? <laughs> so there's a whole bunch of verses in the Bible about truth. I'm just going to look at two. Jesus said this, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. So in a sense, truth is a person. Jesus is truth. I think it means that he's the correct and true and full representation of God the Father. Remember the disciples asked him once, show us the Father. What did he say? Well, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So in a sense, Jesus is a true representation, a true expression of who God is, his character, his personality, and everything that's good about God. But there's another verse in John 17, verse 17, uh, when Jesus is praying for his disciples, he says, Father, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Okay? So the Bible is truth, full of truth. Every chapter, every book, every verse is full of truth. Okay? So you might be thinking, logically, when Paul is saying, let's put on the belt of truth, that must mean that we have to read the Bible, we have to study it, we have to learn it, get it in our heads, get it in our hearts, and probably the more we know about the Bible, the stronger the belt. That would be a logical kind of thought process, eh? I want to say yes and no. Yes, partly because if we don't know what's true about God's Word, we don't know God's ways, we end up following our own ways. We end up following the advice of our friends. We end up following psychology. We end up following what the world is heading towards. God has detailed in His Word everything we need for life. So to not read it, to not know what we should be doing, pretty dangerous. Truth should be balanced, should be held in tension. There's some truths that if you just eat the diet of that truth, you become very unhealthy and very imbalanced. If you just talk about the love of God all the time and never understand his justice, his judgment, his holiness, that's an imbalanced truth. They're both truths. You have to hold them both in tension. So we need to read the Bible to know all that stuff. But also know because... Just because you read stuff in the Bible doesn't mean that truth changes you, okay? I want to make up a phrase tonight. I'm going to call it paper truth. I'll try and, try and explain. Truth is more than just facts. What are facts? Facts are something obvious, something evidence. They are objective. Boosie is sitting there. That's a fact. 
We can, there's no error in that fact. It's completely true. It's a thing. If, if uh, Laney talks to Bussy, that's a fact. There's been an action. There's been an event that's happened. Okay? It's quantifiable. Truth, as Mark said, has something to do with a personal experience or a personal opinion. So let me, let me try and give an example. Here's, a, here's something that's true. Okay? Chocolate is creamy and sweet. Anyone disagree? Okay, two. Two. Two people disagree, all right? Oh, okay. All right, it's not to get technical. <laughs> well, how about this truth? Jesus died for our sins. He died on the cross, okay? It's a fact. Does that in itself change you? If you were to read on a piece of paper, chocolate is creamy and sweet, are you different because of that? No, you're not. Okay? My wife, Q, one of those things, please. I need two volunteers. Two volunteers. You won't be injured. Anthea and Brucey, okay. Anthea, you didn't put your hand up. The guy next to you made you put it up. Okay, Boosie has never eaten chocolate in her life. <laughs> Neither has Anthea. <laughs> and Boosie, if I had to tell you chocolate is creamy and sweet, are you different? Are you changed because of the fact that I said that? Exactly, okay. Now, I want you to eat this chocolate. That's a Lindor ball. <laughs> now, you guys should volunteer quicker. Eh? <laughs> Just watch your facial expressions. Put the whole thing in. Are you, are you a changed person? Is that amazing? Is chocolate creamy and sweet? Okay. That's, that's genuine. Uh, okay. <laughs> now, I want you, Boosie, I want you to explain to Anthea, who's never had chocolate, that experience. Describe and explain how chocolate has changed you now that you've had it for the first time. How would you convince her to go and get some chocolate? Mm. Mm, mm, mm. You should get yourself a chocolate because it is so sweet. It tastes so good. Nothing tastes like chocolate. Nothing, nothing, nothing. It's sweet. It's delicious. Mm. Actually, it is creamy. <laughs> I think we should get it. <laughs> yeah, just hang on, hang on. You guys aren't going anywhere yet. This is a two-part. Uh... Anthea, are you different because of... So I, I would describe spiritual truth. I'm not going to look at philosophical truth tonight or uh, legal truth or whatever. But spiritual truth, I would define like this. It's an understanding that we get through personal experience that changes us. Bussy had a personal experience with chocolate. That has changed her. Okay? She's experienced the truth of chocolate. Sounds weird. Anyway, you're not a cult, I promise. Uh, sharing that truth, does that change your life? Not really. Okay? Shared truth doesn't change other people. But are you more keen to try chocolate? What's going to take the other half? There you go. You guys can grab a seat now. Actually, no, stand. Stand some more. Wait. All right. You've got to work for your chocolate. <laughs> <laughs> 
Work with chocolate. Truth in the Bible that's not experienced is just like a cold fact. You can read the entire Bible. You can know it off by heart. You can know all the principles about our faith, but have not experienced any changing action in your heart. Would you agree with that? You can know all about chocolate, but until you've eaten it, you have no idea what it's really about. And I, I meet, and in the years that I've been a Christian, I've met some people who, let's say in a small group, one person's on fire for God. They're praying, God's answering prayers, they're reading the Bible, they're excited, they're serving God, they're going on missions, etc. You get someone else in the group who is just like, yo, I've, I've read the Bible and like it means nothing. You know? It's not working for me. I've prayed, but I haven't heard God speak. I'm doing the same things they're doing, but getting different results. On the one hand, there's experience, the truth of God's word. On the other hand, there's no experience. Okay? So uh, there's actually one for everyone tonight. So there's two little tubs. Can you hand out one to everyone? Leftovers, come home with me. Go and give one to everyone. What you're going to do, hold it. We're going to open it together, and we're going to eat it together. That sounds more like a cult, eh? <laughs> All right. Pop it in your mouth. And experience chocolate. The truth that chocolate is... I hope you're not allergic to dairy, anyone here. It can be bad. Yours is horrible. You're just trying to angle for another one. She said it wasn't. Did you, did you have one? And? There you go, you see. Converted. <laughs> I'd like to pray for us. I'm not finished, but I'm going to pray for us. Just as we're experiencing this thing of chocolate, um, that we would experience God's truth in, the, in a real way, like we've experienced chocolate in a real way tonight. Let's pray. Father, I do want to pray with everything in my heart tonight, Lord, that experiencing your truth through your word would be as real as we're tasting this chocolate now. Lord, your word is not meant to be cold facts. You're not meant to accumulate them in our head. But God, I pray for every single one of us, Lord, that the truth of your word, the truth of who you are, Jesus, we would experience that deep in our hearts, that we'd be changed. We wouldn't deny that we've encountered you. God, would you do it in our hearts, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So I guess the next kind of logical question is, how do we experience truth? How do we experience truth? How do we get more chocolate? Okay, how do we get more truth? Yeah, it's a great question. So yes, we need to read the Bible, okay? Uh, without God's word, we're just getting opinions. We're getting thoughts of people who don't know God possibly. So it has to be based on God's word, and we need the Holy Spirit. We spent three weeks looking at the person of the Holy Spirit here, and it's the Holy Spirit that takes God's word and helps us experience it in as real a way as you've experienced chocolate. And that can happen in a whole bunch of ways. You can be reading the Bible. You can be praying. You can be worshiping in your car, driving to work. You can experience God's truth. You can be listening to a sermon. You can be, um, at the end of a sermon, you can be prayed for and experience God's truth in that way. There are many ways that the Holy Spirit can work in our hearts for us to experience God's truth. It doesn't have to be while we're reading the Bible at six in the morning or whatever time you read it. It's, it's more, it's broader than that. And I want to just give a couple of examples um, just to try and help us understand that. If, if we read the Bible or 
if someone says something or there's something challenging in a sermon or we moved or we stirred, we respond in obedience to God. That response opens the door for us to experience God's truth. Okay? So Kim, who is sick tonight, she's not here, but a couple months ago, she got baptized. And we challenged her, hey, Kim, invite some friends. Bring some people along to church who wouldn't come to church, but because this is a big event in your life, they might come. She invited a whole bunch of people. One lady in particular came that she'd been praying for, and this lady must have got touched somehow in the service. Goes back to, I don't know where she stayed, four-way side or somewhere down there. Goes back to where she stayed. The next time they went to a church near where she lived, I think the Sunday after that, she went back and got saved. Completely. And I'm on the Ronnie and Sam's WhatsApp group, and Kim was like, my friend got saved. She went to church. She gave her heart to Jesus. It was amazing. And Kim was stirred to do something. She responded in obedience. And if you had to ask her, she's not here, which is a pity because I was hoping to ask her. So you'll have to ask her when you see her. She's experienced these truths, that God softens people's heart. She's seen it in her friend before her eyes. She's witnessed that fact. Okay? She knows that God answers prayers. And the life group that were praying with her, it's clear God answered the prayer. They were praying for days, for weeks possibly. God answers prayers. And so she can, because she's experienced that, she can share that with other people. Although that won't change them, that will hopefully convince them to pray for people. She's had the experience of um, seeing someone put their faith in Jesus, the joy of someone getting saved, being born again, one of her friends. She's seen also the truth and experienced it that God uses us. God worked through Kim to bring her friend here, to take her friend back, and to get saved. How much more is she going to be like, well, I know God can use me. I'm going to invite someone else next month to church or whatever it is. She's experienced those truths, and they're real for her. Does that make sense? So let me give you a couple examples from, from my life. I can remember um, going forward one night after a sermon, coming to the front and being prayed for. And I don't know why some of us are quite nervous of coming to the front. There's nothing special here except there's a heater now. It's a little bit warmer. But we shouldn't be scared if the preacher says, if you want prayer for anything or God's working in you, don't be scared to come down to the front because I promise you, I've experienced God often when someone's praying for me up front here. So I can remember the time I went forward for prayer and the guy had preached on the spiritual gifts. So prophecy, miracles, healing. And he said, if you want to grow in the gifts, you want to start using them, come forward, we'll pray for you. So I went forward, I was keen, and um, I was standing like this, just waiting for someone to pray for me. First guy comes and prays, that was cool, nothing happened. Second guy comes, starts praying, and then pauses. Gives me a big hug, and says, this is my son, whom I love, with him I'm well pleased. Those are the words that Jesus, or that God spoke over Jesus at his baptism. And God knew I didn't need spiritual gifts, more of them. He knew I needed the affirmation of the Father, the love of God. And as he started speaking those words and he hugged me, the Holy Spirit came on me and I experienced the love of God, this unconditional affirmation and acceptance that God's my Father, that he loves me. And I was changed and different because of that, completely different. Holy Spirit came on me, took God's word, literally God spoke those over Jesus. I experienced God's love in a real way, and I was changed. Another time, um, uh, this, I forget what the sermon was about, something about um, repentance or something, and the preacher said, we're not going to call people forward, but I want you just to stand where you are, just respond to God. And so all of us in the church were standing, 
and we were praying, and I was just thinking over what the guy said, what he'd preached about, and just praying with God. And as I started praying and mulling over, again, the Holy Spirit came on me, and I felt the conviction of my sinfulness. Even though I'd been a Christian for years, I felt the weight and how much God abhors our sin. He detests it. He hates sin. And I stood there weeping because I had another revelation of the holiness of God, this perfect God who Timothy, or Paul says to Timothy, who dwells in unapproachable light. And I was like, God, how can I, a sinner, even come close to you? I'm depraved. Even though I'm born again, my thoughts are horrendous at times. And I'm like, how can, how can I even be near God? And I experienced his grace, his love. Actually, it's God's grace that we can even come close to him. So I had like two or three moments of being convicted of my sin, having a, an encounter with the holiness of God and the grace of God. And I, I promise you I've been different because I've experienced God's truth. It's not just, you can read those words on a page, God is holy, God hates sin, God is gracious, but they will not change your life until you experience them. We need the Holy Spirit to do that. And we can, we can experience God's truth of the same thing over and over again. Okay, It's not like, okay, I've experienced that truth now. Thanks, God. Tick it off the list like a bird watcher trying to get to, you know, all the birds in South Africa. Tick them off the list. We can and we should experience God's truth of all that he wants to do over and over again. Let me give you one example. I've, I've experienced um, God's truth in the area of finances and provision over and over. Last year, unexpectedly, my boss came to me and said, we want to promote you. And I was expecting a promotion in about two or three years' time, but he said to me last year, I'm going to promote you. Congratulations. I'm like, okay, <laughs> I guess, thanks. So I drove out, and he'd given me the, the promotion letter. So I opened it up, I had a look, and there was the increase. And I was like, that's a really good increase. As I'm driving down to our research building, I just had a moment in the car where God just touched my heart again through his Holy Spirit, and I felt the favor of God, the love of God, the lavishness of God, the generosity of God. I just had this moment of, again, experiencing God's truth looking out for me. And it wasn't that I was in the church worshiping. I wasn't reading the Bible. I knew God's word. But at that time, that instance, through an unsaved boss, I experienced God again. And his truth we should experience over and over again. And so experiencing God's truth does three things for us. Number one, it causes us to worship God more. Okay? When you've experienced the love of God or the grace of God or the power of God, we automatically, we can't help worshiping, adoring, laying down our lives, serving Him. We can't help it because it's so real to us. And if you've never, I guess if those are kind of foreign concepts, being in love with God and worshiping Him, then I want to suggest to you tonight, you need to experience His truth. You need to encounter Him again. Second thing it does, it makes us want to share with others who, if eating that chocolate, would not go and tell someone about that chocolate if you've never had it for the first time. And surely us, who know God, who experience God, who hopefully experience Him more and more, surely we should be sharing what God's doing, what He's done in us. Yeah? The third thing God's truth does, brings genuine change. Okay? You can't be the same if you experience God doing something in your heart. You are not. You can read all the verses in the Bible and know all the facts, 
and be the same. But if God touches you and you experience him, you're different. You're just different. There's no two ways about it. And that genuine change, it's attractive to other people who are looking for authenticity. Okay? And I want to remind us tonight, this is a, this is a church plant. We only be going for 18 months. Okay? We're here because there are people not here. We're here because we've experienced God in some way. We want to take God's love and help other people experience that. Yeah? We need the truth. It should change us. That should be attractive to other people. And the, the thing it stops us doing is putting on a facade, okay? Being hypocritical, being like a Pharisee. Because if you change, you're different. You live different. You don't try and cover up stuff that you think other people might judge you for, yeah? 